1: Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio, brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Good afternoon and uh, welcome to Capital Club Radio. We are absolutely delighted to have uh, as our guest today, John Bedard, the, the founder and managing partner of the Bedard Law Group. John, of course, is an attorney and national recognized uh, authority on the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and the Fair Credit Reporting Act. He serves as counsel to several professional trade associations, including the Georgia Collectors Association, uh, amongst others. He's a published writer on industry topics and a former member of the board of directors of the industry's leading professional trade association, ACA International. Uh, He's recognized also by the Collection Advisor magazine as one of the nation's top 50 most influential people in the collection industry. Wow. He serves as the State of Georgia Compliance Chairperson for ACA International and is a former chairperson and Program Designation Award recipient of ACA International's Members Attorney Program. John, we are really thrilled that you could take time out of your, your busy schedule this afternoon to talk to us about your firm, what you do, where you've come from, where you're going. Um, but let's start when you were a young kid. Now, what were your dreams? Did you dream about being
2: a collection attorney, an expert in compliance? Admittedly, uh, Mike, the answer is No. Um, I did dream about being a lawyer, and I also did dream about being a statesman. I thought I wanted to be a statesman a when statesman. I was a kid. Okay. And then I met a few statesmen, and then I learned about how law gets made, and then I decided at some point that maybe being a lawyer was better. And so, uh, so I abandoned my dreams of being a statesman. And uh, I decided I was going to be a lawyer and um, I didn't have any uh, advisors or family members that steered me in a different direction. And so here I am many, many years later um, fulfilling one of my dreams, which was to be a lawyer. And I do love being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But
1: So what turned you off though about being a statesman? You said – the way laws were
2: made, sort of like sausage is a, you something know, to do with sausage. That's and, a perfect yeah. analogy, yeah. Mike. You know, there uh, there are two things you never want to see the process of their production. <laughs> one of them is yeah. sausage. Right. The other one is the law because uh-huh. it can really be a gruesome process and I don't think I was cut out for that and I, I'm proud to have realized that when I was young. Mm-hmm. Although
1: some people might describe the collection – law business is gruesome. Uh, And and you're there now to clean it up, I suppose, with your compliance services that you offer, correct?
2: That's true. We do have clients who make messes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do have clients that mess on themselves from time to time, Mm -hmm. and we do help them clean it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that we do that is even more valuable than that is we help them stay clean. Mm -hmm. And so we teach them um, how to comply with the myriad of state and federal laws that they've got to comply with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do some cleanup from time to time when and if they get sued. And, and, and recently in, in the last five, six, seven years, we have seen a dramatic increase in government regulatory action and oversight of our clients. And mm-hmm. so we have helped a great many of our clients. Um uh, clean themselves off of the residue of government when when government steps in
1: mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm.
2: so how did you get to this
1: point? because I think you started in the mortgage space, right, and then you got into collections and so how, how tell us tell our audience a little bit about the evolution
2: of this journey sure that sure you had uh, like you mentioned at the beginning, I never went to law school wanting to to represent uh, debt collectors i didn't even know what debt collectors were when mm-hmm. i was in law school um and so after i graduated i joined a firm that uh, that served primarily the mortgage industry mortgage lenders mortgage brokers and we did for those clients very much the same thing i do now for the collection industry which is all of their compliance work mm-hmm. and all of their defense litigation you mm-hmm. know debt collectors believe that they are very heavily regulated by government. But try lending money secured by real property to a consumer. That introduces Mm -hmm. an entirely new level of regulation. And Mm so Mm -hmm. the skill set, which was compliance skill sets and regulatory and litigation defense skill set, which I learned and applied in the mortgage space, fit very nicely in the collection space. Okay, And – As a young associate at a law firm... That it was is trained to go out and develop business. If you ever want to be a partner and you want to develop clients, um, I learned very quickly that I needed to get out from under the very comfortable wings of the partners and really um, blaze a little bit of a new trail, but not go too far from the nest, so to speak. And the collection space was a very nice complement to our mortgage compliance and defense litigation practice. And so that's how I began in the mortgage – I'm sorry, in In the the collection collection space. space. It was kind of by accident, but it was a very nice complement to the practice that we already had.
1: Mm -hmm. So the mortgage experience was like a training ground then for the regulatory and compliance work that you are now doing? I think that's
2: fair. Yeah, absolutely, because the skill set is the same. Uh It's studying the law, studying the cases, and giving uh, clients sound – compliant Mm -hmm. business advice Mm -hmm. um, uh, that help them uh, navigate what is sometimes some very uncertain legal waters. Right, right.
1: (sighs) That's interesting. So tell me, though, um, from an attorney standpoint, going from mortgages to collections, is that less competitive? Because I imagine the mortgage space is extremely competitive. It's saturated, isn't it?
2: well, at the time it it was um it was a very uh robust industry. you know you know of course, we've all know what's been happening in the mortgage space for the last ten fifteen you know uh, years, and so in the late nineties when I began um in the mortgage space. The business was growing. We had, we had a lot of work and it grew and grew and grew. Um, it grew so much that, um, you know, we were hiring people at, at my old firm Mm -hmm. and, and it was, it was very good. And the things that I learned in that space, I think really did help me to develop my practice in the collection space because it was the same kind of skills that we used, mm-hmm. understanding the law and helping clients comply with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all financial services related and so it was a bit of a of a, a learning ground so to speak mm-hmm. um, and it, it made a very nice complement to a business that ended up really um, – Uh, Taking on a life of its own as my own professional development grew.
1: Right. So today in the collection industry, as an attorney specializing in (laughs) compliance, regulatory affairs, how do you differentiate yourself? Because I, you know, I think maybe 10 years ago it was a little bit different. We didn't have Dodd-Frank, the creation of the CFPB. Today there are dozens and dozens of attorneys That do what you do. But how does the Bedard Law Group stand out? What, what is your strategy to serve this market and differentiate you and your team?
2: Yes. I am most proud of what I think is our most valuable differentiator, which is that we can think outside the box better than anyone. And so things aren't always as they appear. Mm -hmm. And when we're faced with unique legal challenges, when we have clients that have complex business puzzles that need to be integrated with complex legal problems, we bring experience and we bring this ability to solve problems by bringing solutions that are outside the box in order to meet client needs. That's what we do best.
1: Okay, Can you give uh, our listeners some examples of that? I mean, it sounds nice, John. Everybody likes to say we think outside the box. That's right. Give us some examples. And by the way, I recall that you told me that, you know, you're kind of a uh, recovering entrepreneur and that you you do like to, you know, play with apps. You know, are these apps, is that also part of your strategy to differentiate Bedard Law Group?
2: It is, and really though the, the apps, which I'll talk about in a moment, it's really a demonstration of our ability to identify need and to fill the need, right? So we go out into the marketplace and we understand and we observe that not only clients but even other lawyers in the marketplace have a need to have at their fingertips – the legal resources necessary to give good compliance advice and to understand what the law is. Mm-hmm. And we did not see a an app or a product in the marketplace that was focused specifically on our collection space. Mm-hmm. So what what I did, with the help of some programmers, is created um, what we call ARM Law and that is an app that is available through the uh the iTunes store and it's also available on Google uh uh and and the Android platform and literally it is an app which focuses exclusively on the collection industry and mm-hmm. provides the law and provides the cases that are most important to people in this space if you mm-hmm. want to find a case on um uh, on uh you know uh, letter cases mm-hmm. and and uh, Mini Miranda cases, you can find it. You want to find voicemail cases, you mm-hmm. can find it. You mm-hmm. want to find the statute, the FDCPA, the FCRA, the TCPA. You want to look at the statute. It's all right there at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that is because we saw a need in the marketplace that wasn't being filled by somebody else.
1: So you initiate. you built this app?
2: Correct, yes. And it's almost like the refrigerator that we load from behind. The okay. way we keep the data current okay. is to constantly be loading the app from behind so that every time a user opens the app, mm-hmm. they have a fresh copy of all of the new data mm-hmm. that we put in it sort of in the back end. Hmm. The other things that we have done in terms of thinking outside the box is um, we saw another need in the marketplace that wasn't being filled and that is a need for speech analytics. We have a lot of clients. Who either are unable or unwilling to spend the kind of capital investment it takes to really implement a robust speech analytics program in our space. And so what we did is we decided to make the investment in those tools and our firm provides a completely outsourced turnkey speech analytics solutions on a flat fee subscription basis. And we don't see any other lawyers in the marketplace doing that right now. And we provide our clients with legal advice on the content of their telephone calls because we are analyzing their calls for them. Wow. And it's all automated. And it is almost all automated. Yes. Okay. It, from you the, say almost, what, what's not? The, we always have humans back at the office making sure that okay. the automation is working properly. Okay. And, and so from the client's perspective, mm-hmm. it is automated. Right. They get a username and password. They log into a secure FTP. They see their results mm-hmm. of our analytics and mm-hmm. our legal advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we have humans operating the machinery in the background. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the
1: clients for this would be obviously collection agencies, call centers –
2: and asset buyers mm-hmm. many and asset buyer. buyers mm-hmm. and many collection agencies are using our speech analytics tool mm-hmm. as a, as part of their vendor management oversight programs mm-hmm. and so when asset buyers have many many different agencies um touching and working their business this is a way that they can oversee what's happening between their account holders and their agents that mm-hmm. are Could you drill
1: down, down one more level then and tell us exactly then give us an example of you know what kind of dimensions in speech analytics you an- you, know, you you analyze and review and report on
2: Yes yes so so this is what I get most excited about here uh, Michael because we are really right now and for actually for, for a few years now, been going through what I describe as a data revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, big data is a, a word that we hear all the time. And I think it is very underutilized in our collection industry. And, and so what we are doing is gathering the data on these telephone calls and reporting it back to clients. You know, it's easy to find phone calls in which speakers on the phone are using profanity, right? Mm -hmm. It's not so easy to identify the ingredients of a call that results in a payment, right? And so we are using speech analytics to help clients stay in compliance. We are using it to help clients identify defects in their processes, but we are also beginning to help clients now make production decisions on what to say, how to say it, how long to say it, because those things matter. So let me make sure I get this,
1: that this speech analytics program can actually discern, you call them ingredients, what features in, let's say, a collector's talk-off that can turn that call into money, to turn into cash. It's sort of like the secret sauce of a a call program. Is that
2: What you're saying? In a sense, the answer is yes. And it's not all automated. This does take human analysis as well because the speech analytics tool Mm -hmm. is designed to gather the data. And then the humans look at the data and make some of those decisions. Uh So for example, we can create word clouds that tell us the ingredients of Mm -hmm. telephone calls. Mm -hmm. So if we segment out all of your payment calls, we can study the word clouds on those calls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We can study the balance of a phone call. What percentage of the call does the consumer speak versus Mm -hmm. what percentage of the call the agent speaks? Mm -hmm. And is there a statistically significant number at which the payment calls hover around Mm -hmm. maybe the Mm -hmm. ingredients of a payment call at this business on this business line Mm -hmm. the agent sweet spot for speaking is only 42 percent of the call Mm -hmm. and the consumer does the rest of the speaking
1: 42 percent just for the agent i'm
2: making those numbers up right and so but but we study that because the number is different for different clients it's Mm -hmm. 42 for client a it's Mm -hmm. 56 for client b Mm -hmm. some clients have phone calls with an average duration of 37 minutes Some have an average duration of only seven minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So it just depends. But the idea in this product and thinking outside the box, which was your original question, is identifying client need, Mm -hmm. which is to utilize the data – That they have the most of, which Mm -hmm. is their telephone call data, Mm -hmm. in a way that can help drive production Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. keep them compliant. Mm
1: -hmm. That's exciting.
2: It is very exciting.
1: come a long way.
2: Indeed, it has. It has become very sophisticated.
1: So your journey through this process, um, tell tell us a little bit about some of the challenges or adversity that you faced along the way. Or was it really pretty smooth sailing?
2: No, it, um, it wasn't. It wasn't always smooth sailing, you know. Um, there are, you know, growing up and, and throughout my childhood and, and even throughout, um, much of my career, you know, I, I use the cliche that, uh, you know, um, adversity is sometimes the mother of invention, right? Mm-hmm. And so I sometimes come up with my best ideas when I, when I really, really have to because maybe there's, um some adverse circumstance that makes me think of it you know everything from um you know uh, learning how to smoke cigarettes i did way back in the day when i did some traveling to trying to find a place to stay for a mm-hmm. night when mm-hmm. i was traveling and didn't have a place to go mm-hmm. to understanding client needs and coming up with different products and solutions for clients that they're not uh, getting fulfilled mm-hmm. in, uh, by, by maybe others in the industry right now. And, right. and we can step in and we can help. Uh huh. That's an interesting, tell tell us more about, you, you know, looking for a place to stay and client
1: needs. Uh, I remember you told me once about a trip to Europe that you took and I think it was one of your first trips and you, it was, you had some life lessons there. How, how did, what
2: did you learn and how do those life lessons apply to what you're doing today? So, so back when I graduated from college, I had plans to travel around Europe and I was supposed to actually travel around Europe with my girlfriend. Well, graduation comes and there's no more girlfriend. And so I them then faced with the decision, do I go on this trip or not? Because we had been planning it together. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not canceling this trip. I'm going by myself. And the plan was to backpack around Europe, and I kept those plans as well. So with a little bit of cash in my pocket, with a plane ticket uh, that arrived in Paris on – uh, I think it was some day in June. A, and round a, uh, it it one one. a round trip ticket. It was a round trip ticket, but my return flight wasn't uh-huh. for 36 days later. Wow. Okay. And so I didn't. I, I had a backpack on my back, and that's all I had. And I landed in Paris, and that's all you had. That is, all, and a little bit of cash in my pocket, and and that was it. Uh huh. And, um, so the first thing that comes to mind when I walk out of the train station is, is just at this amazing sight of, of the Paris skyline. Um, and then being very nervous, uh, and, and panicking a little bit about, oh my gosh, where am I going to stay? Where am I going to go? Um, the very first thing I did was begin to look for a place to stay. And mm-hmm. I learned about youth hostels and I, and I, mm-hmm. and I met all kinds of people. Um, so by about, day 5 or 6 i didn't worry about finding a place to stay until about 3 or 4 in the afternoon because i felt comfortable that i could do it no matter what mm-hmm. um then lo and behold i would meet some folks and and they would take me in and just by meeting them and so sort i like thought to my airbnb well almost <laughs> and so i learned mike yeah. that if i went to the bar and I had a pack of cigarettes with me. Okay. I could meet the guy sitting next to me uh-huh. and offer him a cigarette. And even though I only spoke English, we could communicate. And lo and behold, at some point, they would always ask, well, where are you going tonight? It's 11 o'clock. And mm-hmm. said, oh, I don't, I don't really have a place. I'll find a place. Oh, well, come on back with me. Mm-hmm. Of my 36 days in Europe, Mike, for two weeks, I just stayed with folks who took me in. Wow. And to me, yeah. this was an amazing uh-huh. liberation, uh-huh. right? I felt so liberated. I felt empowered. I learned – to adapt to my situation. okay. I learned how to smoke. I learned how to drink. I learned oh. how to find a place to stay. Okay. I slept in a circus tent. I did uh-huh. all kinds of crazy things. Right, And it's because I had to. And I was really nervous at first. I was scared when I got there. Right. Um, But the confidence then began Mm -hmm. to build. Mm -hmm. Um, I began to feel very comfortable Mm -hmm. about what I was going to do and how I was going to do it and where I went next. And by the end of my trip, Mm -hmm. I had no plans to go anywhere. I would meet people and that's how I would learn the next place I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So I went all over Germany and Italy. I went over to the Czech Republic. I went um, all over France and and Switzerland. And so when when I think about that experience – And I think about how liberating it was for me. I take those lessons and I apply them to my law practice today. And so I think to myself, well, you know, where are clients going to come from? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to go find them. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, well, what am I going to do when I find a client? Well, we're going to learn what they need. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things I learned when I was traveling and meeting these people, and that is how you treat them, Mike how you treat people right and when you treat people right good things happen to mm-hmm. both of you mm-hmm. and so and so that's what i did and i apply those lessons from that long ago even to my practice today um and and uh and that was a very valuable experience for me and And even today, clients appreciate the way we treat them, and they appreciate how, when we see their needs, how do we solve them with them? But you also must have a knack for connecting with people,
1: because to be able to just run into somebody and then get invited to stay at their house for a night—that's that's that's unusual, you know, because you're a complete stranger. So, you know, again, I don't know if there's any connection with you know calling you know, uh, on, on consumers, but you must have some communication skills that are special and unique and effective for you to get, you know,
2: invited to someone's house, especially in a foreign country. Is is that true? Or, you know, I, I think there is a sense in which that's true a little bit. You know, um, one of the things I did in high school, Mike, was I was in the chorus and, many people <laughs> the chorus the I, chorus. I that, was a singer oh, okay. believe it or not all right wow and um and the reason I bring that up is because I learned a lot about communication when I was a singer uh-huh speak clearly right articulate yep sit up straight mm-hmm. look your uh uh friend in the eye mm-hmm. those basic things mm-hmm. mean a lot mm-hmm. smile our, our our instructor was always telling us, smile, smile mm-hmm. because it makes a difference. And uh the way you communicate and what you communicate, I think Really goes a long way towards engendering the kind of feelings you're talking about, mm-hmm. about making people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, those very
1: words, those very techniques, the lessons that you just mentioned, can that also be applied in coaching? You know, collectors and agents in call centers. Does that is there a connection there?
2: There is no doubt in my mind that the answer is yes. Yeah. Because one of the things that are our instructor always told us not just to always do the speaking, but mm-hmm. to do the listening as well. Mm-hmm. Listen to the person next to you. Mm-hmm. Listen to the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. You need to be um, uh, simpatico with them. Right. And so those kind of lessons are the very same kind of lessons that we teach collectors today. Mm-hmm. Listen to what this consumer is telling you. Mm-hmm. Understand and identify their needs mm-hmm. and then think Creatively to mm-hmm. meet their needs mm-hmm. while at the same time meeting mm-hmm. your needs as well mm-hmm. it can happen mm-hmm. that's exciting so in your vision for uh,
1: the dart law group going forward and your knowledge and vision of what you think is going to happen in the debt buying industry how will you apply these lessons going forward One and of, has anything changed
2: uh, uh, well the, you know We all are observing right now a lot of change in the debt-buying industry. The thing that gives me a lot of um, encouragement and hope is that I think that the best days of the debt-buying industry are ahead of us and Mm -hmm. not behind us. Uh, And that's because our economy is going to continue to grow. Um, The volume of accounts in our economy is going to continue to grow in my view. Right. And that is going to give rise to a growing need for the collection services that this industry provides, including the debt-buying industry. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways that we, our office, is positioning to accommodate that those changes is to constantly have our finger on the pulse of what the marketplace needs. We are nimble. We are observant. We care about our clients, and when we learn that our clients' business is changing and their needs are changing, we change with it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we bring to the industry, and that's what we bring to clients. And that's another differentiator of our firm uh, than than many of our very very good colleagues in the industry that do the same thing.
1: So we're coming to the end of our show here and uh it's, it's an interesting note to close on that uh you i guess in a summary i'm sensing that you you feel that, that our law is on the kind of cutting edge of what uh collection agencies debt buyers are going to need in terms of both legal and call center support services um you know you talked about some of the apps that you're doing do you want to share in closing here with some um of your plans for the future for Bedard Law that our listeners can um, take advantage of?
2: Absolutely. And so what we are doing right now, we, in fact, we've just recently launched a new service at our office called BLG 360, which is a flat fee, comprehensive legal service that we provide to clients, again, as a reaction to our observation of what clients need, mm-hmm. which is predictable – Legal cost that their business needs over time, mm-hmm. uh, and we've uh, we've identified the services that clients need over and over and constantly, mm-hmm. and we are that legal resource for those folks. And so we are expanding our service line. We are um, expanding our pricing models. You know, it it you don't have to hire all lawyers at an hourly rate anymore. And so alternative fee arrangements is mm-hmm. something that we have been doing with clients for a long time. And more and more clients are interested in that because it brings certainty and predictability to their budgeting when it comes so to legal you're, services. So
1: you're pricing on a project basis then or
2: product basis? Or? Both. 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 Okay. So on a project basis for compliance projects, it, we, we have um, worked with clients on flat fee arrangements. Mm-hmm. Uh, even on litigation services, mm-hmm. we have clients who play, pay flat fees mm-hmm. for, uh, for litigation services mm-hmm. in addition to the product specific services that you've described, which mm-hmm. is for example our speech analytics and our uh, BLG 360. And so from product to service, uh, we are exploring alternative pricing arrangements with clients and they have been very receptive to that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And does that help – how does that help increase the stickiness then with your client base?
2: Uh, Well, one of the reasons that we've um, created the BLG 360 is because clients need – A resource for legal services that they can pick up the phone all the time, Mm -hmm. get the help they need Mm -hmm. and be comfortable that they're not getting billed all the time by the hour for that. Mm -hmm. And so to the extent you can be there for the client every time they have a legal need, it does create this thing you call stickiness. But one of the other services that is included in our BLG 360 service is on-site evaluation by our lawyers. And right. so um, included in that service, we actually come to your office and we shake your hand and we look you in the eye and we look at your operation right. and we develop relationship through the product and the service. Um, and and that's another way that we develop relationship. That's another way we develop trust. And, and that's what clients need. So it sounds
1: like you've kind of designed almost a full continuum or almost a circle. Is that? And I was thinking about the name, BLG360. Is that how you came up with the name? That's or?
2: exactly right. Okay. We provide 360 degrees of the legal service you need. Okay. That's exactly right.
1: Everything from, I guess, ARM law, speech analytics, compliance.
2: Letter review, defense litigation, regulatory defense litigation, um policies and procedures, call scripts, collection agreement review, on-site examination, you name it. Um, we fulfill client needs for comprehensive legal service. On
1: that note, I'd like to thank uh, John Bernard for his time this afternoon. I think uh, it's a terrific story about how you started with very little and Now, at this point in 2017, you've got a full continuum, a full circle of solutions for the collections and debt-buying industries. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, John, and congratulations on all your success with the Bidard Law Group. My
2: pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club
1: Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction.